0: Today, that your word would be first and foremost, that your spirit would move. God, that if there is anybody here who just is struggling with life circumstances and the difficulties that come, they may be feeling overwhelmed by the burdens, uh, maybe even the decisions that they've made in the past. God, that you would speak to us, that your spirit would change our hearts, and that we would understand uh, your goodness and your grace. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Today, we're going to be wrapping up our overwhelm series, uh, dealing with something that, that most of us maybe deal with, uh, but we deal with in a certain circumstance or a certain, certain situation. And the reality is what we're going to be talking about today is temptation, all right? Um, we're going to deal with the, the, the situations that come as a result of temptation. Has anybody ever heard how an Eskimo kills a wolf? Well, good, because I'm going to tell you. Uh, In order to kill a wolf, a lot of times it's it's easier said than done. And and what this comes to be played out is, is an Eskimo, in order to kill a wolf, uh, has to be a little bit smarter. I mean, you got chances with, you know, guns and things like that. But an easy way to kill a wolf, or the way the Eskimos used to do to kill a wolf, is they would take their knife and they would coat it in in some sort of blood, maybe whale blood or another animal's blood, and they freeze it. And they take another coating and they coat it over and they freeze it. And they continue to do that until the the knife is coated with more or less an icicle of blood. And then they take the knife and they stick it down in the ice to attract the wolf. Well, here's the, the reality. Here's the situation that comes up. When the wolf smells it and he hunts it down, he begins to lick the, the blood off the knife and slowly licks it to the point where he continues to lick and the knife continues to cut the wolf's tongue until he licks and licks and licks. And the idea is that the wolf eventually dies because he's bleeding so badly, so profusely that he eventually succumbs to the wounds that he created in and of himself because he was attracted to something that he wanted so badly. That's an old Eskimo way of how they would kill a wolf. And the reality is, and I want you to think about this, and most of the times in our lives when it comes to temptation, when it comes to succumbing to what we deal with, the struggles we want, we want things, we think we need things, and maybe, just maybe, you're the wolf to a certain extent, and, and you go to the thing you think you want, the thing you think you need, and what in reality it does it ends up attacking you or killing you in your own way or in your own circumstances. When we deal with temptation, we have to look at a number of situations or a number of things that we can look at, but if you want, I want to encourage you, turn to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to start off in Matthew chapter 4, and I believe the thing that we have to do when we begin to think about this wolf cir- circumstance is that this gives us a fresh insight into the self-destructive nature of yielding to temptation. The reality is, every one of us are tempted in some way, shape, or form. And a matter of fact, there's nothing wrong with being tempted, okay? A lot of us look and go, well, if you got that temptation, you got a problem. No, no, temptation is not the problem. It's giving in to the temptation that becomes the problem. And a matter of fact, we're going to jump into Matthew chapter 4. We're looking at the temptation of Jesus, all right? There's a number of ways we can look at it, but I want you to think about uh, how you respond in a circumstance or situation that comes up. Listen to Matthew chapter 4. Go ahead and stand with me as we read. We're going to read Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 10, and it says this. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter, this is Satan, came to him and he said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and he had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he says, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to him, it's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test In verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he says, all this I will give to you if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. You can have a seat. As you think about this, I want to ask you this question. What is the greatest temptation you face in your life? You can identify it if you want. If you got a piece of paper, as a matter of fact, I would encourage you to write this down. What is my greatest temptation? Write it down at the top of your sheet. Write it down. Take notes. Find, identify. You know what it is. You know greater than anybody else what your temptation is. What are you tempted by? Maybe it's money. Maybe it's power. Maybe it's addiction to drugs or alcohol. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's sex. Maybe there are all kinds of things that take place in our life that the greatest temptations come about, and the reality is the temptations or the things that, that we're tempted by may be good things, but the way we try and come about accomplishing them, them, accomplishing them are wrong. See, temptations are all there. And a matter of fact, if you look at it, when we realize what goes on with temptation, temptation is not a bad thing. Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we were, but yet there was no sin in him. All right. In other words, Jesus was tempted in the same things that we were tempted in. He was tempted with power. I mean, think about this. The very thing that Jesus was going to have eventually by being obedient to God the Father is the very thing that Satan tempted him with in the very beginning, right? I mean, he literally says, look, if you worship me, all of this will be yours. When Jesus is going, if I just stay obedient to God, it's all going to be mine anyways. See, the reality of what goes on in most of our lives is this. We want what we want on our time, not God's time, And therefore, as a result, are willing to go against what God says in order to fulfill the wants, not the needs, in our time, not His time. We're willing to sacrifice obedience to God in order to fulfill a short-term fix rather than be obedient to God and experience a long-term solution in our life. Addictions... Struggles for power, addictions to money or drugs or alcohol or pornography, all of those things are literally taking a good thing and using it in a very bad and evil way. All of them are. And so the question would be is what is your temptation? As a matter of fact, I'll even bring it to another sense temptation in reality, your temptation may be just to question God, to question His authority, to question His goodness, to question the truth of His Word. Matter of fact, if you were any way, shape, or form committed to watching any sort of news lately, you'll know that the temptations are there. It's the temptation to discredit God and to credit humanity and say things are this way, or things shouldn't be that way. a matter of fact, marriage is under attack. Life is under attack. And when you start to go down those roads and those situations, here's the temptation to begin to say that God's Word is old. That's an old 2,000-year-ago deal, but it's, got, it's not caught up with the modern times, and so I'm going to be tempted to change my viewpoint from a biblical worldview point to a worldly viewpoint. And that is that God's word is not efficient anymore. So therefore, we're going to change our viewpoint on certain things. See, temptation is there. It's all around the corner. As a matter of fact, temptation is a, is a fact of life for all of us. As we know, Jesus was tempted here in the wilderness. We see all throughout Scripture where people were tempted to, to do things. As a matter of fact, the, the people of Israel, when they're wandering through the desert, they decided to take it upon themselves to do what they shouldn't do, to disobey God instead of being obedient. Why? Because the temptation was we don't think God's going to provide. See, temptation is one of those things that we all face. As a matter of fact, I I came up with my own definition based upon a couple of definitions, but I want you to think about this. Temptation is the desire to do something wrong and is a result of an attraction to an individual, a substance, a feeling, an emotion, or an act. It's the desire to do something wrong because we are attracted to an individual or a substance, a feeling, or an emotion, or an act. See, temptation is literally, I want to feed a desire within my life in an unhealthy way. The temptation is, when I give in to that, is the desire to do something. Listen wrong. Anybody ever have that desire? <laughs> like, it's like, okay, I know what's wrong, but I'm going to do it anyways. You know, I, I use this adage, and I've said it before, when, I don't know, Ethan was about two or three. I remember looking at Ethan, and I said, Ethan, if you do that again, I'm going to spank your butt. And he went just like this. <laughs> like, I'm going to do it again. <laughs> what are you going to do about it? <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, you did not just do that you know? Have you ever gone into the store that says, do not touch? You will be responsible for anything you break, and you're like, <laughs> anybody ever done that? Like, like you know, it's like, oh, the temptation is so great. It's like there's just something inside of us that wants to go against what we know we're supposed to do. As a matter of fact, there's a Part in the Bible, and we're going to look at that here in just a second, but it says it's literally the evil desire inside of us that leads us into fulfilling that temptation desire. See, temptation isn't just a miniature devil. If you grew up watching Looney Tunes with the little devil on this side and the little angel on this side, it's not just the little devil winning out by speaking in a louder voice. Temptation is something that we all deal with. Oftentimes, our temptations literally are derived from this. All right, there's two things. It's a desire to meet physical, emotional, or spiritual needs in a proper way, in an improper way, sorry. Temptation stems as a desire to meet physical, emotional, or spiritual needs in an improper way. But temptation also is this, you have to understand, is an issue with the confidence in God when I run into the temptation I'm tempted by and I run in and I fulfill that temptation, what you're doing is you are questioning and doubting the confidence of God. You're questioning and doubting that God has good for you, that God has a purpose for you. One of the struggles I dealt with as a youth pastor and oftentimes trying, dealing with girls who are girls or guys who are wanting to get married is this. They were willing to sacrifice and say, look, I can marry this individual even though I know he's not a believer, he's not a strong spiritual leader, he doesn't think like I do, he doesn't prioritize the church, he doesn't prioritize Jesus. And the reality is this, the temptation is so strong because you think that God just doesn't have somebody better for me. Like, I doubt God's goodness. Do you hear the, the story of what's going on? I doubt that God has the greatest in store for me, so I'm going to take it into my own hands, I'm going to lower the standard, and I am willing to be tempted into doing what I know I shouldn't do in the first place. So temptation is a huge deal. It's a big deal. And whether we want to talk about drug and alcohol abuse or sexuality and the addictions that come with it through pornography and, and, and cheating on your spouse, what we all have to understand is this, that the temptations that we face on a daily basis will be great. A temptation maybe even for approval from other people. So here's the big thing. If you remember anything, I want you to remember this, that temptation is overcome when we pause, then focus on God's strength to help you overcome your desire. Listen, most of us don't pause in any way, shape, or form in life, do we? The reality of, of our life is most of us are running like crazy. And a pause forces you to stop and think. Matter of fact, you've ever heard this, when you are about to blow your gasket, like for me, When you are at your wit's end, you're about to blow, and somebody's like, you need to leave the room, you have to count to 10 and then come back and address the situation. Anybody ever good at that? Because I'll be honest with you, you know what I'd rather do? I'm going to erupt like Mount St. Helens. I'm just going to blow it. And sometimes I'm going to say things that I know I shouldn't have said. I'm going to do things that, you know, and my son will tell you, I'm the guy, I am like the king of one-liners that can be pretty hurtful. Things like, I'm going to rip your head off and bowl it down the street, right? I'm going to break your arms off and beat you with them. Who says that? I did. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You know, it's just things like that. So listen, we're all tempted in every way. And I want you to understand that those temptations are things where we literally have to pause at the situation or circumstance. I use it over and over and over again. I know my weaknesses from the get-go. I knew my struggles as a teenager before I went in the Navy with pornography and things like that to where... We have literally set up the standards. And I tell people this. My wife has a parental control thing on our TV. There's no way for me to access it. It's good. Why? Because the temptation. And listen to me, that doesn't take away the temptation. You want to know why? Because Satan wants to always get you where he knows he's going to get you. Satan masquerades. A matter of fact, the Bible talks about how he masquerades as an angel of light. Here's, here's what that means. Satan, when he wants to throw a temptation in front of you, he's not gonna throw something in front of you that's ugly. He's not gonna throw something in front of you that you are like turned off by. He's not gonna throw something in front of you that isn't enticing or appealing or something that you really want. He's gonna throw everything in front of you that you desire. Matter of fact, I would say it this way. As we've dealt with a number of individuals, when you try and overcome an addiction, do you want to know what's going to happen when you try and overcome that addiction? In every way, shape, or form, that addiction is going to be thrown back in your face. Whether drugs, or alcohol, or pornography, or whatever else it is that you are addicted to, that addiction is going to be thrown in your face. Why? Because deep down inside, you know what your body longs for and desires? Evil. Nobody had to teach you to be bad, did they? Evil naturally comes. That's why I find it so ironic when somebody wants to lecture on morality and the morality of certain situations and circumstances, but they're willing to condemn you uh, for standing up for the right to life. Evil comes in all kinds of forms and circumstances and situations. So here's the question today. How do I overcome the attraction of the temptation? How do I overcome the attraction of the temptation? Because let's be honest, the temptation is there. The temptation is real. The temptation is very attractive. I want to experience something that is super attractive. And temptation... The temptation to experience that is great. So number one is this. How do I overcome it? I have to remember that temptation is normal. We just looked at that. Jesus was tempted in every way in Matthew chapter 4. What we see is this. Number one, he was tempted physically, right? He was tempted to, to, to have Satan provide for him. He says, look, hey, man, you've been fasting, or you've been, you've been out in the desert. You've been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And what is the first thing Satan comes at him with? Food. Now, look, I go four hours without food. Like, I get the shakes. 40 days and 40 nights with no food. What was Jesus at that point greatest physical need? Food. What's the first thing he's tempted with? Food. What's the first thing that Satan is going to do to you when you face a temptation? He's going to go after what you, listen, need. Or what you think you need. The temptation is there. So I have to remember that temptation is normal. Jesus came to reclaim the authority in our life. Jesus came to overcome the sin that's in our life, to overcome the evil and wickedness that's in our life. And if we aren't under the authority of Jesus, then we're under the authority of the enemy. Think about this. Jesus was offered authority over all the things that he would eventually have authority over anyways. So why would he even worry about dealing with this? Because that's the way Satan works. Satan wants to throw it all back in your face. The enemy wants to work against you. The enemy wants to challenge you. The enemy wants to go after what you think you need rather than going after you chasing after what you really need. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I'm going to flip over there and I would encourage you, you can follow along with me. I want you to see this because I think it's important for us to see. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 6, it says this Now these things occurred as examples. To keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. This is talking about what went on in the Old Testament. In fact, you can read uh, verses 1 through 5. All right, He says, I do not want us to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud, that they all passed through the sea. They were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink that accompanied them, and that rock was Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Why? Because their, and their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes and do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. And then listen to what it says in verse 11. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you, listen, except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Here's the truth of the matter. Here's the reality of what Scripture teaches us. When we are dealing with the temptation, God always provides a way out. We learn from the past. Remember what it says? All of those things happen in the past so that we can learn not to give in to our evil desires, not to chase idolatry, not to run into sexual immorality. And it says that when we face these temptations, listen, the temptation isn't evil. When you are tempted, it's not a bad thing. Satan is going to work you over. He's going to try and test you. He's going to try and tempt you. He's going to try and get you off track. That's not a bad thing. You have to know that the enemy has come against you and the enemy is always going to attack. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. But listen to this. God will always provide a way out for that temptation. There's never not a way. He always looks for a way out. No, and here's number two. How do I overcome the attraction? Number one, remember temptation is normal. Number two, no temptation sells us false hope. The very promises that Satan was promising to Jesus in the section in Matthew chapter 4 was a false hope. Satan couldn't promise what he can't give. The temptation always provides a false hope. Matter of fact, there was a, a pastor down in Springfield who used to say this, if you're struggling with, with marital issues and sexual addiction or, or whatever it is, the grass is greener always on the other side, Right? I mean, heck, all you got to do is watch a cow stick its head through the fence, and they seem to think so. But just because the grass is always greener on the other side means, doesn't mean everything. could mean that the septic tank's broke. It could mean the fact that you're eating grass is growing up out of a poop-filled yard. It could also mean that the person is actually caring for their spiritual growth. But listen to me. Just because it's always greener on the other side or may seem greener doesn't mean that it's good. Know that temptation always sells you false hope. The idea that if this need is met, then everything is going to be better. If I get my fix, then I don't have to focus on what's going on. If I can just get all of these bad memories out of my mind by drowning them away in the sorrow and agony that I'm dealing with, and I could just drown it away with the alcohol or forget about it with the drugs, then all of these things are going to be better. The reality is this, it's a false hope. Pornography destroys marriages, it doesn't help marriages. Pornography destroys the view that you have on the individuals around you. It it attacks the very value of that person. And the sad thing is, is it doesn't matter if it's male or female now, because statistically they're almost equal, they say. The fastest growing addiction is actually female pornography addiction. Blew my mind. Temptation sells false hope. Temptation sells a lie. When I give the temptation, give into the temptation, all it is is promising me a false hope. See, the power of all temptation is the prospect that it's going to make me happier. If I just get this need met by this single situation or a single circumstance, I'm going to be happier. I'm going to have more joy. That's a false hope. Hope, that's a false reality. Temptation is never something ugly. It's never something we don't want or desire. It's always something that looks beautiful. And listen, if you flip to James chapter uh, one, and I'm gonna kind of use this as our last section of scripture, but in James chapter one, it says this. When tempted, no one should say God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So what does it say? God can't be tempted by evil, and God doesn't tempt anyone, all right? Now, some of you are going, oh, wait a second. Jesus was tempted, and Jesus was God. Yes, but Jesus was also man, okay? Remember that dichotomy that plays plays out there. He was 100% God, but 100% man. He was tempted in every way we were, but yet he did not give in to his temptation. But listen, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each one is tempted. Listen to this, when by his own Evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Here's what happens in your life and in my life. When a temptation rises up, it doesn't come because God planted that seed there. It comes because deep down inside, your heart wants what's evil. Matter of fact, Jeremiah chapter 17 says, The heart is deceptive above all things. your heart and my heart is evil. It wants what it shouldn't want. It desires after bad, not good. It doesn't run to God first. It usually runs to selfish interests first. And so when we take this in, when we understand what he's saying, we understand that, look, when we are tempted, all right, not a big deal, but... Our temptations come from our own evil desires. And so, my question earlier was this What is your temptation? In other words, what you're asking yourself is, What is my evil desire? And I would venture to say that all of you know your own evil desire. If you don't, you need to figure it out pretty darn quick. Because knowing sets you up for success. Knowing is what is going to help you in a bigger circumstance to stand up against the temptation that you're going to face. And then listen what he says in verse 15. Then after the desire has conceived. So here's what happens, all right? Deep down inside, my evil desire rises up. I'm tempted in every way. Why? Because now, listen, it's this idea that I have almost been impregnated with a thought. I become pregnant with a thought in my mind that this is what I'm going to do. And then listen to what it says. Then after the desire has conceived, in other words, it's given birth, it followed through with the temptation. After it has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full-blown, gives birth to death. When I follow through on the temptation, that is when it becomes sin. The temptation is not a sin. You and I are going to be tempted. You and I are going to be tried. We're going to be struggle with the difficulties that we face. But you and I can stand up against it through the power of Jesus Christ. Here's number three. How do I overcome the attraction? Number one, remember that temptation is normal. Number two, know that temptation sells us a false hope. And number three, overcome temptation by knowing Jesus and his scripture. You have to know this regardless of where you're at in your life. Number one, you have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Number two, you need to know scripture. If you go back to Matthew chapter 4, Jesus quoted Scripture every single time he was tempted. Satan came at him with one thing, and Jesus quotes Scripture and says, hey, here's the deal. And if you'll notice, here's the beauty of it. Satan even uses Scripture to try and get God to do what he wasn't supposed to do in the first place, to try and get Jesus to do something. So if you think that you know Scripture more than everybody else, here's the thing I will always tell you. Satan, in some way, shape, or form, will try and find a verse that you will twist and turn, and he will twist and turn in your heart to try and get you to think, hey, it's okay. As a matter of fact, I'm just going to say this very clearly so that we stand where we stand. The Bible is very clear that we should love our neighbors as ourselves. Love everybody. Love your enemy, pray for those who persecute you. But you also have to understand that there are things very specifically in Scripture that Satan has twisted and turned, even in the church, to where we are allowing and accepting things that God never intended to be in in the church. Marriage being a key thing. Whether you like it or not, there can be a disagreement here all day. And I will stand up and I will tell you, we will be accepting of everybody regardless of their sexual preference. But listen to me very clearly. Marriage, according to the biblical definition, is between one man and one woman. There is no way to argue it. I don't care what your worldly viewpoint is. From a biblical standpoint, you cannot support homosexuality. But I want to be very clear too. Before we put homosexuality on a pedestal up here versus heterosexual sin, listen to me, parents, listen to me, those who aren't married. A lot of times we go, well, hey, great, I'm straight. Everything's good. That means I can do whatever the heck I want. Nope, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. You are not your own. When you gave your life to Christ, you were bought, you were ransomed, you were purchased, you were deemed, you were called to be holy. And there are very clear, specific guidelines that the Bible sets up in a sexual standard for a married couple only. Now, I know I'm stepping on toes because I know for a fact that I've had parents come to me and say, how can you believe that? The Bible's just 2,000 years old. It's just not gotten with the times. Listen to me. Homosexual and heterosexual sin, from a biblical standpoint, are sexual immorality, and the Bible is very clear about sexual immorality. So we love. Listen to me too, we're still going to love those people. We're not going to ostracize them. We're not going to kick them out. We're not going to. We're going to love those people with the gospel. To love our neighbor as ourselves. We're going to stand on the truth of God's word, though, regardless. Why? Because the temptation would be hey, we can give a little here. Why? Because we want to reach these people. But the reality is this that the temptation to go that way would lead to disobedience to God in the the bigger picture. So I overcome temptation by knowing Jesus and his scripture. I have to know it. And listen to me that's not hate. That is not hate. We're not calling condemnation on them. We want people to find Jesus. Why? Because Jesus changes a heart. Nobody else. You being hateful doesn't change a heart. You being mean doesn't change a heart. You even being loving doesn't necessarily change a heart. Guess who changes a heart? God does. Now your love, I believe, can speak volumes to it. Your love can be an example for what Jesus has done in your life. So we have to begin to understand that. So we have to put to death our earthly nature. And I told you I lied. I'm sorry. Colossians chapter 3, we're going to wrap up with this. Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 5. And it says this. Colossians 3, starting in verse 5. And I think it's, it's important for all of us to understand this. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Now listen to what he says. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice slander and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on your new self, which is in Christ, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its Creator. Do you see the standard that takes place in the temptation? The temptation is not the bad thing. The idea, though, is this, that I have to rid myself of these things. I have to get rid of the earthly nature. I have to flee from these things that are going to lead me down a path that gives me false hope. All of those things lead us down a dark path tunnel, where in reality, if we walk in obedience, if we follow Jesus day in and day out, then we're set up for success. Why? Because Satan wants to cast doubt and questioning on the power of God's Word to transform your heart. Number one, all right, overcome temptation by knowing Jesus and Scripture. So I have to put to death the earth and the nature, and then I have to worship Him only. What is it that controls your heart? And the reason why I ask that is very simply this that the minute you know what it is that controls your heart, is the minute you'll also realize what the temptation is going to be. If it's approval from other people, do you know what the temptation is going to be? To do whatever you can to make sure that you receive that approval. What is it that has your heart? Maybe it's an addiction. You're going to do whatever you can to feed that addiction, maybe it's power. You're going to do whatever you can to gain more and more power. Maybe cutting people off, treating them like trash, stepping into situations that maybe you shouldn't step into, all to gain more and more power. What is it that has your heart? Maybe it's money. And the temptation may be that I'm going to do anything and everything I can to gain more and more money, even if it means I never help anyone out, I never give, I never support, I never love others. See, those are the things we can begin to see how they play out. So I have to worship Him only. The minute you compromise, you lose your confidence in God. So here's what I want to encourage you with in this. Is that God wants to work through your temptation. God wants to help you overcome the temptation that you face. That God is right there to walk alongside you. But listen to me, when I talk about this, Jesus had scripture down. And there is no simple way to do this other than for you to buckle down and start to memorize scripture. You need accountability with other believers, but you need to have an answer for every temptation that is thrown in your face by Satan. When you deal with, when you deal with like sexual addiction or things like that, you need to start memorizing scriptures that help you deal with sexual addiction. You need to help yourself overcome that I would not look upon things that I shouldn't look, that my eyes would be guarded by God, that everything I think about would be focused on Him and what He wants to do. If it's finances, I need to put to scripture or put to memory the scriptures where He talks about, listen, the, the love of money is the root of evil, but not money. Money is not evil. The love of money is. So if I'm chasing after and doing everything I can to gain money, then I need to put into memory verses that talk about money. If it's addictions, I begin to put things into mind that I memorize out of Scripture so that I can battle against what Satan wants to throw up against me. And I can't emphasize this enough because if I was to ask everybody here, and I was asked this a long time ago, If you have as many Bible verses memorized as you are old, if I asked you to stand up, I would venture to say that less than 1% of this room would have that many memorized. Just as you are old. So if you're 12, all I'm asking you for is, do you have 12 Bible verses memorized? Some of you may be like, do you know how old I am? Yep. Do you know how long you've been a Christian? I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I just gave you two. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. Do You see what happens? When I face a difficulty... Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not cause a quarrel with a fool. Man, that would help out a lot of us on Facebook. (laughs) So what? Somebody shows their stupidity on Facebook. Guess what you can do? Ignore it. They're dumb anyways. Sorry, just going to say that. (laughs) So anyways, you guys... I want to challenge you, and, and here's the goal, all right? We got like seven months. What is today? March. Yep. No, eight months. Sorry. Eight months. And we're gonna start pushing some of this on things. But I want to challenge you that by the end of this year, you would have 16 Bible verses memorized. That's two a month. For those of you who are older, I would start to get it. And I would write down a list. Keep a journal. How many of you keep a journal? Anybody keep a journal? Look, I'm not asking for a diary, okay, for you guys are like, oh, you want me to be an old girly, girly, am I right? No, I'm talking about a journal where you can take notes from Scripture, you can take notes from sermons, that you can write down the Bible verses that you're memorizing, you can write down prayer requests of friends so that you remember those things. I would encourage you, matter of fact, I I would beg you to do this today that you go get a journal. It doesn't have to be anything fancy. Go to Walmart, buy a 99-cent spiral notebook. There you go. If you're somebody who's more into all the expensive journals, then get a journal. But I want to challenge you with this. By the end of this year, that everybody here today would have 16 Bible verses memorized so that you can stand against the attacks of the enemy and you can live according to God's word. Let's pray. Well, God, the temptation... Is going to be to walk out the door, to neglect your word, to think that we, if we just buckle down and work harder, that we can do it. But God, I think of your word, where it says your word will not return void or empty. That you're going to, that it's going to accomplish its purpose in due time. I think of how your word is a lamp into my feet, and God, that I realize that it's just step by step. It doesn't mean it's going to be a spotlight to illuminate my whole path, but God, you are going to help me stand against the attacks of the enemy, that your word will breathe life when I struggle with depression. Your word is going to breathe encouragement when I'm dealing with the deepest, darkest, discouraging things I can face. God, that when I face the attack of the evil one because I'm being tempted with alcohol or drugs or maybe it's pornography and sexual addiction, maybe there's other things that we deal with in power and finances, God, that I can stand firm on your word, that I will not be tempted, that I will not give in the temptation, that my evil desires will not mislead me, but God, I would run to your word, that I would run to your heart, to the heart of Jesus, and that I would pour my heart out to him, and I would seek to stand on the truth of the gospel, knowing that Jesus died to pay for my sins. And I am a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. And so God, I pray today, just in that midst, that we could do a very simple thing, that we could begin to memorize your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.